Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Sam, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I had your brother on a couple weeks ago, and I, I think you guys, your episodes will probably air right around the same time. Uh, but I think you had signed up for the podcast like a couple hours later. So I thought we had a great conversation, but I guess apparently we did because I guess your brother was like, yo, dude, get on this. Is that about right? Yeah, because he wanted me to do a better podcast than he did. So that's why I joined. <laughs> that's good. What a good brother. I mean, he did a great job. We got into a lot of really good stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm right there with him, though. I'm hoping this one's better. I hope with every show it gets better. So, uh, man, I appreciate you being on. Let's kick things off. Give us a little bit of context. What do you do for a living? And one thing that most people don't know about you that's maybe a little odd or bizarre. Okay, so what do I do for a living? I work in marketing. I've been working in marketing for seven and a half years now, eight years. I did a degree at Nottingham Trade University where I achieved a first class degree. Um, and my current job is at Farfetch, working as marketing technology manager. So for those who don't know, Farfetch is a, a luxury fashion marketplace which connects loads of boutiques around the world. Boutiques that wouldn't be able to target people in as much of, uh, with as much reach or as much of a platform as Farfetch can provide. So that's what the business model is. Um, and my job at Farfetch is to figure out how we use our first party data in real time to enhance the way that we personalize advertising messages for customers. That's ultimately my, my job. So I use technologies, I use platforms, I figure out how we can use our first party data all together to enhance the way that we market on Facebook, Google, Griteo, on Twitter, on Snapchat, these sorts of platforms. Um, and the reason why I got into marketing was because I'm a products person. And the reason I'm a products person is because I'd like to see um, a problem being solved with a physical entity. Now, I do like service-based businesses, but I think when you have a product, it's something you've created outside of yourself and you can sell it to someone. You can package it up. You can tell a story about it and sell it to people. So uh, that's pretty much the reason why I got into marketing. And I'm always thinking about new ideas and I'm always thinking in a different way or trying to be innovative. And the way that I think is very laterally. I think about loads of different things at the same time. And that's why I work in marketing technology, which is very much an innovative technology sort of role. So um, on the second question, what's bizarre about me? I think um, most people don't know. What did, what did they not know? I used to be very skinny when I was a kid. And it's quite bizarre for people who first get to know me because I'm quite big. So when I was a kid, I was extremely skinny, but now I go to the gym, I, I take care of myself, I have a good diet. So when people see me now, who, let's say you just met me today, when you see a picture of me when I was 14, 15, I was really skinny, I was kind of undernourished. So that's very bizarre for people who get to know me now. For people who already know me, just trying to think of what's bizarre about me. I have so many interests, I think. I've got so many interests. I've got art on the wall. I've got uh, Van Gogh art on the wall. I've got loads of books by like Robert Greene, by uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, by uh, Paolo Coelho, by uh, all, all sorts of different, a variety of different topics. And what's so bizarre about me is I've got so much of an interest in 
loads of areas. And um, it could be, you could kind of assume I'm a generalist, but I'm also a specialist in what I do, which is marketing. So I understand how things connect because I read so much stuff and I watch so many podcasts that um, I can connect things together. And that's where innovation comes from. And even when I was at university, I paid a lot of attention to my innovation part of the course. So what, 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 what I lecturer said was basically that the Dyson Hoover was taken from a dust extractor, which was obviously an industrial dust, dust extractor. And Dyson took that model of how they extracted dust from the air and he placed it in a vacuum cleaner, a Hoover. And so I always look at innovations from anything I can read. So I read about Tim Grover, who's Michael Jordan's, uh, who was Michael Jordan's coach and Kobe Bryant's coach. He basically said that, um, you know, midnight starts in the dark and the start of a new beginning or a new day is always in the dark. And he mentions about paying attention to detail. So, you know, before a game, Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant will go through the, the basketball court and bounce the ball and see dead spots. Spots where nobody else would understand that the ball doesn't bounce. So it gives them a competitive advantage over their over their competition. And it allows them not to go into those areas or to push their opponents into those areas. So I love attention to detail. That's that's one of the main reasons why I love marketing. Because every single thing that you find tuned can make a massive difference in the long term. God, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's it in the nutshell. I think we can uh, probably spend a good chunk of this episode talking about marketing. Because when you really think of mindset and marketing couples along with that, because if you're preaching things about a product or service, but let's just run with product because you got to think for product. I can understand that. Uh, if, if you're pushing something that has to do with the product, but you're not actually engaging with people at a core level and at their heart and c connecting with them, then you're just yelling about a product and they're, there are some companies that do that, but there are also some companies that really get to the heart of the matter. So with the generalist feel and being able to see lots of different things, how do you manage your mindset throughout the day in marketing, taking the data, taking all the information and not driving yourself crazy? Because I think you and I are probably similar in a sense where we can have lots of ideas and then you're just like, holy shit, I don't know what to do next. So how do you manage your day-to-day -day and how do you manage your mindset in that? Okay, so from a personal point of view, I go to the gym in the morning before I go to work, generally. So it helps me start the day by focusing on myself first. And, and psychologically, you're telling yourself you're more important than your job. Whether you own your own business or do whatever it, whatever it is to be, let's say you're a solopreneur or entrepreneur, whatever it may be. If you focus on your health first, Health is wealth. So if you go to the gym in the morning, you're telling yourself that your health comes first. So subconsciously, you're already on a better footing than if you didn't go to the gym. How I keep myself from exploring so many ideas is looking at revenue for the company I work for. So Farfetch, which idea is going to make the most revenue for the company? And I'm a very com commercially minded person. So I look at, okay, we've got this idea and this idea, which is the biggest idea? So here's a really good example at Farfetch. I was buying something on the app and I wanted to share that product with my family. So I tried to share it with my family, but the product had a link which sent them to the app store because they hadn't downloaded the app, right? So I raised the issue internally with a few stakeholders and we did an analysis. Now the analysis showed it was quite a good goal to to hit to send people to the website instead of the app store to download the app 
to see this product and then tell me you should buy that product and I'll buy it. But they will also understand that Farfetch can sell these sort of products and they can see a product. We can retarget them with an advert maybe later on, get them to subscribe, etc. So I was comparing two journeys. The first journey was the current journey and the second journey was the journey I proposed, which was if you have the app store, if, if you have the app, go to the app. If not, then it directs you to the website to maybe download the app, but see the products as well. And then let your friend know that they should buy the product. This idea, um, hypothetically, is going to generate a lot more revenue for the company. And it's being tested at the moment. And if I didn't look at the idea and try and quantify it with numerics, with revenue or with profit or with anything else, then the company wouldn't listen to me anyway. So one thing I've learned from working on the client side, which is Farfetch, a billion dollar company, a company which focuses on how to make more revenue with every single idea, is I have to persuade people, I have to be a marketeer with my ideas internally to persuade people to take on board my idea. And the reason for my idea being great is obviously the bottom bottom line works, but also for the customer experience. And also I think it's common sense to send people to the website to view the products versus the app store to download the app because that's three or four stages away from buying anyway. And how many apps do you use on a day-to-day -day basis? You use very few probably, probably five per day. Facebook, WhatsApp, email, I'll say maybe Twitter and, and probably one other, uh, other app, Instagram. So you don't really use many apps, but you use tons of websites. If you compare how many apps someone uses per day on their phone versus how many websites they go through per day, it's probably like 20 times more websites per day than apps, at least. I've got like probably 50 tabs open at the moment, right? So yeah, yeah, so, so, when, you're, so when you're looking at ideas, you have to figure out and explore them at first and then figure out with revenue or with profit or with a certain, certain, certain number associated with the idea and then sell it to the right people in the company. That's the way that I look at it now. But traditionally, I would look at the idea as what am I most interested in? And pursue that idea but also commercially what makes sense and when i started in the industry i'll look at ideas which i liked but now i'm underpinning every single idea with commerciality anyway and i get really interested by the future of everything anyway so the word innovate means to to make something new the word nova comes from latin being new so innovate means to make something new and the difference between an innovation and an idea is an idea is a concept and innovation is taking that concept to market so taking it to the marketplace. So an idea would be, it's in my head, uh, a concept called, let's say, nick.com, where it sells t-shirts with nick on it. Commercialization and innovation would be, I print nick on a t-shirt and then sell it in the marketplace. That's pretty much the idea of innovation, right? Innovation in itself doesn't always have to be radical. It can be doing something that somebody already does, like Uber. There, there are always taxis around. All Uber does is it allows you to wait without pain. You're still probably waiting the same amount of time for the taxi, but you can see it on an app going towards your house. And you can also time it so that you're in the taxi at the perfect time. Whereas when human beings wait without a countdown timer, they become quite agitated. That's why tube stations have times, which tells you your train will be here in five minutes. Now you don't care at an airport if you have to wait two hours, as long as you know how many hours you have to wait. So airports should probably tell you, you know, it'll take this long to board, this long to board, this long to wait in the queue, etc. That's why airports are very, very painful experiences because you don't know how long it's going to take you to get through that queue, to get through security, etc. So human beings don't like uncertainty when it comes to times. That's what I found anyway. 
and I read a lot about about um, evolutionary psychology and around psychology as a whole and how people think. And I think the way to um, the way to understand a good idea, because every single business is about people, is to understand how people think. And how people think is probably the most important thing. And the mo- most of the new ideas and new business businesses that come out now are towards getting things faster and also reducing the pain of waiting by making it seem like you're waiting less or seem like it's coming towards it's being delivered to you sooner yeah i think you hit on a a key a key concept that marketing knows but people outside of marketing sometimes don't really know it's a subconscious thing where you've actually got to be able to connect with those people and be able to make some logical steps that make a ton of sense like right now, I'm actually reading. Um, I'm, I'm reading the Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Big Malcolm Gladwell fan, and had never run read the Tipping Point. I don't know why or how. Don't don't kill me. But now I'm reading through it, and I was getting to a point where they were talking about Sesame Street and Blue's Clues. You remember Blue's Clues? I mean, we all remember what Sesame Street was like. But the difference between how they took what worked for those kids back in the 60s and then what was working for children in the 90s and how they tied everything together where it was some simple things like looking at it and going, why are we sending people to download an app that gives it another couple steps when we could just send them direct to the site and if they want to get the app, go for it. But if they want to look at the product, let's get them directly there. And it's that understanding. I think sometimes we kind of need to put our asshole hat on and be like, I'm kind of the asshole buyer what's the quickest path I want to get to this thing? Cause I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to deal with people. I don't deal with apps, whatever. So it's smart that you look at that sort of stuff. Do you think that came from um, how you grew up? Do you think that's kind of innate? Uh, where do you think that sort of thing comes from? Um, that's a good question. Just, just before we continue, that idea wasn't part of my remit. So I went outside of my remit in my role and I started going through things that I think were important for the business. So I don't see my role in the business as confined by the remit. I see my role as anything I want my role to be. So when I go into a business, I'm an entrepreneur in the business. I feel like I'm a partner with the business because I ultimately am. You know, you know when people sometimes see it as binary. I'm my own business. I'm my own boss in the business. When you're not, your customer's your boss. The government's your boss, and you will always be bossed around by somebody, whether it's a manager, a customer, the government your chairman, whoever it may be, your investors. You're never your own boss. You're always a, you're always a servant to customers or leaders or investors, whoever it may be, right? So um, I think when you're in a company, you need to um, figure out what customers want. Sorry for the pause. And at Farfetch, we want to make sure the customer service journey is personalized for our customers. And we're making sure that we're getting the most out of our customers, right? We're getting retention. The only way you can get retention from customers is to make one, the experience good, two, the product's nice, and three, delivery good. I think those are the three key areas. The experience includes customer service as well, by the way. So those three areas, if a customer buys a good product, but your customer service is bad, if it's easy for them to get the products and it's quite uh, quite low difficulty to buy the products and it's not much, there's not much thinking to do like Primark, for example, or H&M, very cheap products where they don't really care about service, then it's fine. But if it's a high quality product, let's say something off Farfetch like Prada, and they get that Prada item um, in the post and it's not in the right, it's not the right size or the right shape or uh, the service isn't good around that product or the packaging's not good, people feel that in a greater way, right? 
So um, it depends on the business, but I think customer service, whether the good is delivered and the speed of delivery is probably one of the most important things nowadays and the experience on the website of the app. Oh, yeah, well, technology allows for all of that. If we think back 30, 40 years, we didn't have access to be able to do this. And you brought up data. We didn't have access to data or even know what data points to be able to try to get access to years and years ago. But at this point, I would imagine you could probably open up a couple of reports and just dive right in like McScrooge style and just dive into all the data, all the data that you want. So how do you actually go through that from a, a tech standpoint, but understanding that you're still a human and the people that you're selling to and helping to sell more to are also human. So how do you tie the data and the humanity together? That's a really interesting question. So, um, I'll take a, I'll take a tangible example of the app store situation where we're sending people who share links on WhatsApp to the app store. Um, the first thing I did was go through reports and have a look at the data to justify the size of the prize of this idea of changing the journey. Um, I looked at how many people clicked on the link, how many people visited the website from clicking on the link and then the app source from clicking on the link I think it was a, it was a while ago and then I spoke to the product manager who manages the app experience and I said look I think this is really really bad if I want to buy something social proof and my friends opinions my friends understanding of fashion and how cool this cap is or these glasses are is going to impact my decision massively if I can't get their um phone to open the link and go to the website to view the product I then have to screenshot it which is untrackable anyway because I can't at Farfetch's end we can't see the person going to the website they're seeing a screenshot so we're losing data secondly it's bad for the customer having to screenshot it anyway because it makes them think and it makes their uh, journey more arduous and imagine if they're seeing six to seven different products and comparing them all it would make it very difficult for the customer to keep screenshotting everything and it makes it very, very annoying for the customer. So, um, yeah, the first thing I do is have the idea. Then I quantify it by looking at reports. So I was looking at AppsFlyer. So AppsFlyer is a an app platform that looks at the analytics in the in the app, and we can understand like where they're coming from, what they're buying, uh, how long did they spend on the site, etc. Then we have uh, BigQuery, which is our database, our customer database, which I sometimes look at to understand. Okay. Um, how many overall sessions on the website am I getting from the website? Because we've got Omni Tracking, which is an internal uh, tracking system, and then we've got AppsFlyer. But traditionally, for a business, it'll be GA, so Google Analytics. So platforms like GA or um, AppsFlyer, or you've got uh, Facebook platforms, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, obviously, Instagram's part of Facebook, but you look at the data depending on what the problem is or what the idea is, and use that to quantify. The revenue you can gain from this idea and then present that internally or you can just take that if you're your own business owner and then figure out okay how much money can i make and then just go go through with, with the idea and once you implemented the idea then report it afterwards and compare what you thought you'd make versus what it did make let's take that example and translate that into out of business and into normal daily life so people walking through 
life and kind of ingesting different data and having data points, they drive or they go get coffee or they go to work or they come home and they have their wife and kids or whatever and all that data, how would you translate what you do on that side into how somebody could be able to use that sort of process for themselves? Interesting. I'd say I was actually looking at buying an aura ring for my sleep to track, to track how long I sleep to understand my heart rate, to understand um, if I'm becoming ill. And I have a lot of doctor friends. So um, a lot of my friends who are doctors have aura rings. And so it tells me that aura rings are really good for tracking your data and understanding your uh, your body, right? Yeah, social proof. And um, I've also got a tracker, uh, a weighing scale, a smart scale that tells me my BMR, tells me my, my uh, visual, visceral fat, it tells me my muscle mass. It tells me my um, metabolic age. All of these data points I use to give me a general understanding of where I'm going with, with my body. So if I'm bulking, for example, and I take creatine, I can see, okay, my water retention's going up or my water weight's going up, but my muscle mass is increasing loads. And since I've been having a lot of porridge in the morning, a massive bowl of porridge with peanut butter, cinnamon, chocolate, honey, I've put on probably four kilos within a few months because porridge is quite uh, a slow burning carb right and peanut butter is a very good fat and it's got a lot of calories in and protein and then you've got honey which is very very calorific as well and milk which is very very dense so all of that combined is helping me put on a lot more weight and a lot more mass and because i think people get confused as well that it's the diet that just helps you create that extra mass when you eat more food you'll have more energy to lift more and then you lift even heavier then internally even more and so it's like a vicious cycle you have more food to have more energy you put on some weight then you lift more heavy weights then or you do more volume then you pack on more muscle by recovering and becoming stronger or bigger then you have more food and it, it it works in that sort of cycle so i use data in my everyday life to kind of measure where i'm going regarding regarding my phone for example i don't really look at how much time i spend on my phone for example but uh, I'm trying to cut down on maybe Instagram or social media because I think we can become quite addicted to things. And TikTok, for example, is something I try not to go on at all because I think that 10-second videos can be quite addictive. Um, but somebody in their everyday life, it depends on the person. I think anybody who wants to achieve a certain goal, you should use data for it. So if you're doing uh, runs for, for a marathon, track your progress every single day. Uh, understand um, everything towards which trainers, which, which trainers are you wearing. What clothes are you wearing? What's the impact on your muscles of wearing compression? What's the impact of your muscles of having BCAAs during your during your run? Talk to physios, talk to osteopaths, talk to podiatrists around all the different data points, as you said, to improve the way that you run. So podiatrists, my podiatrist told me I've got flat feet. So he gave me custom insoles that will uh, stop my foot pronating inwards, which will mess my knees up. I've got damaged ACL, which is probably one of the biggest issues I've ever had in my life. Um, so I use these data points to improve the way that I use it in my daily life because I've got an ACL tear, grade two. And um, if I don't manage myself properly, my knees flare up because I've got biomechanical issues. So I've got flat feet, I've got torn ACL, which is a grade two, which for anyone listening who doesn't understand what grade two means, it means it's not sprained and it's not completely torn, it's in between. So it's torn, but not, not to the degree which I need surgery. But is still to the degree if I don't do exercises it will just lapse back into making my knees hurt and because it then makes my right leg take on board the pain 
or, or sorry, the the mass it then makes it more painful because that leg's taking all of the all of the weight of my body. So therefore, both of my knees hurt, and even at the moment they've been hurting for the last month. So um, I use data to understand how to manage my knee pain, and I used to keep a log for like probably two years or so, and it said like pain scale out of ten every single day for like two years. What exercises I did, what the pain scale was, uh, if I stretched or not, if I saunered. Um, my, the sorts of food that I might have had that might have aggravated my knee pain. So, for example, I spoke to an osteopath recently and uh, they were saying that having lemon in water can inflame your body. And I never knew that. Apparently, lemon and water, the reaction, when you drink it, it makes your body more inflamed. So, foods can exacerbate your body. And even foods that you think or drinks that you think are very, very good for the body are not as good as we think they are. Just because it's natural and just because it's from a plant or from a tree... It doesn't mean or somebody says <laughs> you know yeah yeah just, just because you know lemon's good for you it doesn't mean you should put it on your skin either you know not not everything natural is good for you it has to be in the right in the right you have to take it in the right doses and you have to take it in the right uh in the right vehicle so to speak hmm. that's uh it's interesting to take a bit of a step back with all the data points and uh, to kind of step back thinking that we're going to jump to your knees in a sense um all that data that you learned to then be able to figure out, well, how do I better heal myself is way different than think of that person that's just completely negative, that just bitches about everything. They go, my fucking knees keep fucking hurting me. I don't know why. And they just bitch and complain instead of figuring out how to do what you had done. Now I'm going to call it out because I think that's part of the reason why people listen to the show. That's a lot of work, like a whole lot of work to go through and log all of that and track all that stuff and look at those things. But I could assume, and I know the answer I'm gonna get, but I can assume that when you started to do that, it just became part of habit. And not only did you build that routine, but then you started to see what you could do with that data. So just similar to the question I asked before, how would you suggest that somebody get started with that without having to fucking log everything in their life and track every single thing? What sort of suggestion would you give them to be able to start looking for those data points to then use those to better themselves? I would say like on your mobile phone, for example, you've got a health app on Apple phones and it tells you how many steps you use per day, uh, how many steps you walk per day. So just monitor that and then see, okay, I make, let, let's say I take 100 steps a day. I want to take 200 per day for the next four weeks and just log it every single day and look at it on your phone and see if it's an upward trajectory or if it's a, a downward trajectory or if it's neutral, if it's not moving. So on your mobile phone, there's plenty of apps you can use anywhere that do things for you. My Fitness Pal tracks your calories. Uh, your phone tracks your steps. You've got Fitbit. Fitbit can track your steps. It can track a ton of other things as well. Um, but in terms of data points, I would say your mobile phone is probably the biggest data point you've got in your life. It's got everything you do on there. You spend pretty much, let's say 95% of communication is done through a phone outside of work because we don't really use laptops outside of work to do emails unless you're an entrepreneur or you're doing a side hustle. So I would say your mobile phone's got everything on there and it it depends on what your goal is. But I'd say if your goal is health, then use a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or your mobile phone to look at your health app. If it's not to do with health, then look at things like um, your Monzo, for example, for finances. Your Monzo tracks everything. If you want to improve your finances, look at your Monzo account and look at where you can improve your spending. Look at your Starlink account, where you can improve your spending. 
If you don't have a bank account with Monzo, then switch from a bank account that doesn't tell you your financial spending and go to a bank account like Monzo, for example. So there's plenty of ways of doing it, but I say technology is the only way or the best way. But if you can't, just jot it down every day, how you're feeling every day, and analyze it after the end of the month. That's a great point. Yeah, we we all have phones at this point and we have the technology within our hands. But I think you bring up a good point of just writing it down. You know, there's often a lot of guests that are on here that we talk about journaling, doing things in the morning or doing things at night. And I, I know that I've hated, hated journaling. I didn't want to do it for the longest time because I was afraid of actually what it would do for me. And then when I got into it, it's a whole different story. So even that little takeaway of doing some journaling or just sitting down and tracking a little bit of something like this morning, I woke up at 6:45. Maybe your goal is to wake up at 6:30, but then you can kind of figure out what you can do from there. So that's good stuff, man. Um, that's a really good point, actually. I, I used to wake up at five o'clock for the gym, and people always used to say, "How do you wake up at five a.m. for the gym?" This was before COVID, obviously, because I had to go to gym before work, and I was in London. And I had to commute in, um, but I think I wrote on the alarm uh, something like a really good quote, like dedication and hard work or something something around Floyd Mayweather but every single morning it helped me wake up and one thing I did which is really really cool I'm going to say it is I use my Google Home or my Alexa to wake me up because when you say stop to an Alexa or Google Home you've woken up when you have a mobile phone you can just tap it and you can fall back asleep but when you say to something um, stop my Google Home's over there um, when you say stop to it you've woken up and I don't ever wait in bed for more than 10 seconds. I, I wake up and then I get out of bed. And then, uh, well, I sit on the edge of the bed, do some deep breathing and then wake up. But even those sorts of data points, your Google Home or your Alexa is your friend. You can tell it to be your assistant. And those sorts of things can change your life for the benefit of, of your body or whatever it may be. I, 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 didn't, I didn't really like journaling, if I'm honest, because one, it takes a lot of writing and my handwriting is so bad and it takes a long time for me to write. Um, also, I don't like my mind being too active before bed and in the morning I like to go straight to the gym and I think journaling is just a means to understand yourself and I'm always thinking about how I think every, every day anyway. I'm, I'm thinking about as soon as I get up it's like, okay, I want to be successful. It's just part of my mind and I think, you, you asked me earlier how, how I'm like this, I've just always been competitive and not competitive with other people but competitive with myself. I want to be the best version of me and you know, I think when you're doing that, you can't be insecure. I don't really have any insecurities about myself because I'm so competitive with myself that I haven't got a chance to think, what am I bad at? I'm thinking, what can I improve on? You know, I don't think you should ever be pessimistic towards yourself because people will be pessimistic towards yourself. The world is pessimistic. You need to surround yourself with positive environments. But at the same time, if you want to be negative, be negative quickly and then get it out of your system. And then start moving forward. Tim Grover, the same guy I've talked about before, on the uh, like twenty minutes ago, who coached Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, he said you can't manage what you don't measure. Which I thought, which I thought was quite quite cool, right? Because it's very true. You can't manage what you can't me what you don't measure. So if it comes to as you said, data points in your life, you can't manage your finances without measuring it. You can't manage your business without measuring it. You can't manage your weight without measuring it, because you. How are you going to manage your weight without understanding how much you weigh now versus how much you weigh in, in five weeks after your new diet? You need to measure it. Um, 
so that's what I would say. I'd say to people to watch podcasts and understand very successful people like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, how they manage their lives and to learn from them. That's what I do every single day. I learn from someone. I'm reading a book at the moment called The High Performance Book, um, stories from very successful people. And Jake Humphreys, who's from the UK, he's a sports sports presenter on Sky Sports, I think, or BT Sport, actually. And um, they, him and his colleague, I forgot his name, he's a pro- professor, He they interview a lot of famous people, like Rhea Ferdinand, Gary Neville, a lot of sports people in particular. And sports is really interesting because if you mess up, you know about it. A lot of people can work in a big company and mess up and because it's such a big company and no one knows. But on the football team, when there's 11 people on the pitch and you've got thousands of people watching you and you're on TV, if you mess up, you know about it. And the press attack you, people attack you in the team, your manager will attack you. But in in business, you can fail and nobody can really you know, hear about it or you'll not be uh, you know, in the spotlight, so to speak. So learning, learning from sport and things that have a very quick... No, split second to success or failure is quite an important one for me because then I extrapolate those learnings into my job which is a lot lot less fast you know than being a sportsman or like UFC for example yeah yeah oh my god yeah you have to be literally on your toes at that point or you're on your ass <laughs> so man that makes sense the uh, the data points uh that are in life I like, could if we really look at that sort of stuff, it's almost like looking under the microscope because if you really look at the table you're at, it's not really made of one thick piece of wood or whatever. It's all these little pieces and these little molecules that are put together that we could really kind of see those under the right circumstances, but it takes actually being in the right circumstances to do it. And I appreciate you being honest about the journaling. I too have terrible handwriting, like atrocious handwriting. But I've realized that as I journal, there are certain things that I just feel like I need to get it out and I just get it out and I look back at it and I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck I was just talking about there because I can't really read it. And then there are other times where I write something out and I'm like, ooh, I can almost tell that my body was trying to eloquently get it out. Uh, So it's an interesting thing, but I I like where you get up and you want to be able to get straight into things. And if we think of Kobe and Michael, man, think of all of the work that they put in and somebody said to me recently uh, about coaching. They were like, you know, Michael Jordan had a coach. Do you think you're better than Michael Jordan? Uh, no, 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 don't. Not really. Um, so it's interesting to think of that stuff because those people, Michael and Kobe, done, had done incredible things. But if you really dig into their data points and what they looked at, there's an immense amount there. So I appreciate you bringing that up and circling back to that, man. Um uh, to kind of step away from the data points a little bit, uh, are there any major episodes that have happened throughout life that really stand out to you that were kind of crux moments that you can look at and go, man, that moment right there was a moment that changed me? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I think um, when I tore my ACL, it was probably one of my biggest ones in my personal life. Because when I tore my ACL, I used to be lifting extremely heavy in the gym. And it was, it was sort of my identity, and it still is my identity. People know me for um, knowing a lot about the body, and uh, I'm extremely strong, and I take care of myself. And I was doing martial arts, but when I damaged my knee, you know, it's for three years, and it's, they still hurt to this day, here and there, for three years I was having pain walking every day. 
and that was mentally disturbing you know it was very very difficult and luckily i'm an extremely strong person i've done boxing karate judo uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu and i've lifted very heavy weights so i'm extremely mentally tough and i don't think anybody one thing can break me um there was a another situation when i was 19 when i was on a placement year and this placement job was meant to be a full period but it was cut to three months now i could have chosen to be scared that I've not got a full placement for the year or I could have chosen to be excited that okay maybe maybe it's only three months now instead of the whole I think it's meant to be 12 months um, but it was cut to three months so I've got an opportunity now to get a better job and during that period I got a job which paid almost double what I was on in that first job right and um, I was annoyed that I obviously got cut from the full year to three months but if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have got my first proper job in marketing, which I was only 20 years old at the time, and I was managing emails, affiliate agency, uh, the PPC agency, so pay-per-click advertising agency, and I was rebranding the loyalty schemes, I was changing the car design with the artists, etc. And if it wasn't for that uh, really big scary moment where I didn't have that full 12-month job for my year, I only had a three-month job. I wouldn't have had that luck of finding that new job. And what I said to them at that, that company was, um, I said, look, I'll work for you on the part-time basis. Uh, no, sorry, I'll work for you on the full-time basis with the part-time salary. And then they actually said, look, we want to hire you for the full-time job with a full-time salary. So that kind of changed me as well. I think because I've been in situations where I've, I've had no choice but to fight or had no choice but to adapt it's made me to a resilient person you know physically with my knee with a job issue or you know i've been i've worked to workplaces which you know they run you into the ground and so i've had to learn to be resilient um and to, and to stick up for myself but in a very very uh non-aggressive sort of way so that's probably one of the reasons why i changed i i started reading about you know mastery of myself and how human beings think and how uh, how society works as well so that I could like navigate easier. Nice. So on that note, what's that one piece of advice you'd give to somebody that's on their path towards self-mastery? Be yourself. Well, that's the podcast, folks. Exactly. It, <laughs> I mean, as simple as that. It is, because if, if you're not yourself, how are you going to master yourself? You can't, you can't master yourself if you're trying to be someone else. And a lot of people nowadays probably see someone on social media on social media and they want to try and be what that person is presenting themselves to be but that person is presenting a facade right it's not real so people will be tempted more than ever to be like somebody else but that somebody else isn't who they are on social media they're very different off the social media platforms so just be yourself be authentic and if you're if you're always conforming are you really being yourself because you can't conform for everything and i think and, and the word you know the word the word conform i'm not sure what the latin word is but it probably just means to copy or something like that you know or to give in um and i think conforming means unless you truly believe in what you're conforming to then you're just doing it because you're scared of going against the grain and as a person as and in particular with ideas in a company or in in general in life you know amazon it came out of nowhere and started selling books online netflix came out of nowhere Blockbuster didn't choose to go onto the internet. Why? Because, oh, most of our sales are coming from in-store. But hang on, 
you, you don't know that this small 5% is going to become 100% of the marketplace in the next 10 years, which it is now, right? So I will say to people, look, what we're doing now works, but don't forget what Blockbuster, you know, what, what they did. They didn't go on the internet. They didn't become Netflix. Netflix became the Blockbuster of the internet, and Blockbuster became the nothing of, of the internet. So that's why, even when you're succeeding in life, always look at the 5% thing that will change you forever as well. And that's what I would say. Like, I live by Kaizen, so 1% change every single day, 1% improvement. Whether it's, you know, reading a book and learning one sentence from that book. If you if you read 500 books, that's 500 pieces of wisdom you've gained from, the, from them books. You don't have to know everything, but you have to know something of everything that you've ever encountered, right? Hmm. What a great way to end this, man. Uh, uh, again, Sam, I really appreciate you being on the show. You've talked about a lot. Uh, we've gotten into a lot specifically on data, which is great because there are data points that are technology data points and then there are human data points. So uh, again, Sam, I appreciate you being on the show. Where can people find and connect with you? They can find me on LinkedIn, Sam Batharu. They can find me on Instagram, as 5AMSync. They can find me on... Um, I think those are the two main ones, actually. Yeah, those are the two early ones. They can find me on here, obviously, on YouTube. That's it so far. Hopefully, in the future, I'll, I'll open up a load more channels. Well, perfect, man. Well, again, thank you for being on the show. We appreciate you having you. No worries. Thank you for having me, Nick. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So what did you think of the show today? I'd love to hear your thoughts and check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. Check out the show notes for more info from today's episode and check out other episodes on the mindset and self mastery show.com as well as our youtube channel just go to youtube and look up the mindset and self mastery show thanks again to our incredible guests for being real honest and vulnerable with us today and i'd like to thank our sponsors the manly club and the powerhouse men brotherhood men do you consider yourself to be a powerhouse man the criteria for becoming one is simple live with virtue and do good work you see a powerhouse man builds his life he doesn't settle for it he attacks mediocrity at the root and that's exactly what we do in the powerhouse men brotherhood visit powerhousemen.com that's p-o-w-e-r-h-o-u-s-e men.com and most importantly i'd like to thank you Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters, and so do you.